Welcome to Revelation Ancient Prophecy. This series is a detailed, in-depth study of the book of Revelation. You will discover just how relevant to our day the prophecies of Revelation really are. Here is your presenter, Pastor Baron Neustraten. Well, good evening. Once again, the book of Revelation. And uh, these chapters are magnificent and you should know about them. And uh, I would like to invite you just to bow your heads as we ask the Holy Spirit to be in our midst. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we can delve into the book of Revelation, the, the closing chapters. And Lord, that you, that you open our minds and our hearts, that we may have an understanding and an appreciation of all that what you have provided for us. And Lord, uh, make us uh, retentive that we may share it with others too the wonderful and the good news of the loving God that you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We're going to take you to the last few chapters. Now, it says here in Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. That's interesting. No more sea as we know it. The first heaven and the first earth is the one that John was used to. And that is the one that he lived in. And now he sees a new heaven and a new earth. In the Greek, the word indicates it is not created out of nothing, which we call a creation ex nihilo. It isn't that. It is a reformation. It is a reshaping, a remodeling, a re, what shall we say, a creation of existing matter. God is going to restore fully this earth and make it the most beautiful planet that it was right there at the beginning. And this is what John is seeing. And you'll never find a picture that will do a justice, but sometimes I try. We learned last week about a devastated planet. Incredible, a devastated planet. The millennium, uh, a thousand years. And so we also learned about, let me just quickly run this past you to see if you still remember. The thousand years, if you go to the beginning, you have the close of probation. Then you have the seven last plagues. Then you have the second coming. Jesus returns. Then you have Satan bound for a thousand years, confined to this earth that is devastated. The righteous dead are resurrected. Jesus calls them back into life. The voice that called into existence, the voice that created, is the voice that raises the dead. The righteous living are transformed in the twinkling of an eye. You remember Paul saying that. And we join together in the air and we go into heaven. Interestingly, the wicked that are dead miss out on this whole event completely. Not aware of it. The wicked dead remain in their grave not knowing, completely ignorant of what is happening. And so, we look at the end of the thousand years when Satan has been bound and out of 
a job unemployed for a thousand years, we look at the end, there is the second resurrection. You appreciate that. The first resurrection is when Jesus returns, that is all those who are in him, primarily. And then at the end of the thousand years, at the end of the thousand years, we have the wicked that are being called back to life. Now, the two resurrections are vastly different. One comes up, the first one comes up in the full vigor of life. Not so at the second resurrection. They are still having the impairments of a deteriorating physical demeanor. And so we have the, the wicked, the resurrected. Satan now is released for a short time because he can deceive the nations once more. We also have, and this is what the Bible is so clear, John the Revelator is clear about that, the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven at the end of the millennium. That is what happens at the end of the millennium. And so the wicked surround the city. Why do they do that? Well, well, you see, the saved are inside the city. I told you what a massive metropolis it was, and it will be. And so, and so they were trying to surround this massive city, and they try to take it by force. Satan makes them believe they can do that. Of course, they can't. And that is when the judgment finds place. Fire comes down from heaven. The wicked are destroyed. That's the second death of which Satan will be a part. He will be destroyed too and be no more. And that is what the Bible teaches. The second death, there is no resurrection. The night John saw the holy city. Look at this text. The new Jerusalem. He sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now the marriage has already found place. The marriage is really the judgment in which all the, those who are going to be a part of that redeemed throne that is going to live in that city, that finds place prior to the second coming. The marriage supper to which we are invited in heaven is when we have gone to heaven with him after him being here for the second time. We now, we now have a third occasion that there is a reference to the bride, but clearly that is the people in the city, the marriage has already found place. We would have been there a thousand years. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. Ah, this is marvelous. Unbelievable. The God we worship is the God who really wants to live with us. That is always has been his desire. He will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. And they shall be his people. We shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Imagine seeing God 
Wonderful, wonderful. <coughs> I like this statement. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's an expression that there will be a complete and absolute consolation. That is, of course, that is, of course, when Jesus has returned and we're on our way to heaven, we arrive in heaven, how overwhelming an experience it will be that there may be some of those whom we miss. And here is the consolation, I believe, expressed. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more, no more death. It won't happen ever again. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. And no more pain. The redeemed will be free from any of these things. Wonderful. For the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said this, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, he speaks now to John directly, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, he said to me, it is done like it, it's come to pass. I know it's still future, we're at 95 AD. You, you, you must remember and keep it in your mind that John wrote it in 95 AD. He's looking ahead for a few thousand years. In fact, at the millennia, he's actually millennium, he's, he's looking uh, into the situation of 3,000 years from his day. Quite incredible. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says, I give of the fountain of water of life and freely to him who thirsts. Marvelous promise. He who overcomes. That's interesting. You remember the letters to the churches? Every time the message to the angel of the churches was he who overcomes. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Notice. And I will be his God. He shall be my son or my daughter, of course. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. And so there's a warning, which is the second death. So this is a reference to all those who come up in the second resurrection. Inside the city are those who overcame because of the power that was given to them through their connection with Jesus, who sends the Holy Spirit to empower them. And so, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, come, came to me, he said. And he talked with me. And this is what he said. He said, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. He's now going to show John the city. Chapter 21 is a description of the city on the outside. Chapter 22, as you will see, is a description of things inside the city. Now we're on the outside. There's, there's something very interesting here. 
John says he, this angel, carried him in this, away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. We don't know which mountain. This is in vision. He is taken to a great high mountain. I just want you to remember that. He showed me the great city, the city that he saw coming down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. He sees the motion, and that is what he reports. Having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone. Now he's going to try to express, explain what he's seeing, and it is so beautiful he doesn't find the words. He, he uses the names of, of the most uh, exquisite, precious or semi-precious stones because he's, he's trying to give expression to what he sees. Her light was like the most precious stone, he says, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Then he goes on to say uh, she had a great and high wall, a great and high wall, Interestingly, with 12 gates, 12. You know, reportedly, the old Jerusalem, the earthly one, used to have, at various stages, 12 gates as well. 12 is a number of completion, if you can remember that. 12 angels at the gates. They're the gatekeepers, or welcoming you. At 12 angels at the gate, and names written on the gates. Names is another expression for character. Might it be that the 12 gates are indicative of the fact that God saves of every character that whom he can save? And so I, I, I think that might be a worthwhile consideration. These are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Remember that we talked about that in chapter 7, the 12 tribes, basically 12 characters. Three gates on the east, and then three gates on the north, of course, three on the south, and then three on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Again, the number 12, completion. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So, it's based, the city is based, the wall is based on the teachings of the apostles, whose teachings was based on the teaching of Jesus, who taught as the Father gave him to know how to teach. That's wonderful. And he who talked with me uh, had a gold reed. That's for measuring. Now, measuring sometimes means judging. But here we have this angel of the last, of the last seven plagues. He, he has a measuring rod and he measures. In vision, John sees that. And I think the real reason for that is what John is trying to say, it is a physical city. It's not some spiritual reality that, that, that lacks the actual authenticity of the real city. No, 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 it is a real city. It is a physical city. And he says, he who talked with me had a gold tree to measure the city, its gates, its gates, and its wall, they're also measured. And it's interesting when we go to the measurements. The city is laid out as a square. A square is very solid. Very, very, very solid. Like a square, notice, its length, 
is as great as its breadth. Width and length are the same. It's a square. And the measure of the city, the one, the measurement that he came up with, the angel with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Now, I don't know how much you know about this type of measurement, uh, but I'll give you the result in miles and meters, if you like. Now, notice, its length, its breadth, and its height are equal. Now, offhand, you would say, what we're dealing with here is a cube. You know, the width, the length, and the height, the same. But that's not quite true, because we will get the measure of the wall in a minute, and that wouldn't fit with the description of the interpretation of this description, the New Jerusalem being a cube. I think the explanation for that is this. Let me give you what I believe. And I could give you a number of explanations, but I like the one that's in my mind. John was taken up to a high mountain, yeah? So he's looking down from that high mountain to the city that has settled on the face of this planet. So he looks at the width and he sees the length and it's an enormous size. From where he sits, as he looks down, from that spot to the beginning of the proximal gates, facing him to the very end of the city, is the same like the length, and it is same like the width. That is what I believe he's trying to say. And so, let's work it out. A Furlong or Stadion is 185 meters, if you didn't know. 12,000 furlongs. 1,378.4 miles, which is 2,218 kilometers, if that is the circumference. And that means this, about 344 miles length width and on or 551 kilometers. Now, you have never seen a city like that. That is massive. That is massive. Incredible. But that's what he said. If you look at the size and we put it on some known geography, you can imagine and appreciate the size of the New Jerusalem. Just particularly if you look at the United States where you can just uh, superimpose the tremendous territory it covers. How many people will be in the city? I don't know. I'd like to know. And one day I hope to find out. And so he measured the wall. Now the angel measures the wall. This is interesting. 144 cubits. That's easy because a cubit is about one and a half foot. That's not too bad. According to the measure of a man, to the measurement of the angel. So that's the same. So that would be about just over 70 meters high. That's still very high. But that's the height of the wall. That's the one that he gives. Now the construction of the wall, and here you have the precious stones again, was of jasper. The city was pure gold. Oh, I can imagine that. Pure gold. He says like transparent glass, like clear glass. You know, I, I forgot the price of, of an ounce of gold, but whatever it is, people work so hard for it. 
why do they do it? Just get into the city, the new Jerusalem. You will be walking on gold. I mean, what greater luxury could you think of? Wonderful. Will it look fantastic? It will be so good. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And then he gives us a list. The first foundation was jasper and the second one was sapphire. I know what that looks like. And then chalcedony. I don't know what that looks like. An emerald, I understand. Beautiful green normally. The fifth, sardonyx. Then he comes back to sardius, which I don't know. The seventh, chrysolite. No idea. The eighth is beryl. And the ninth is topaz. The tenth is chrysophrase. And the eleventh is jacinth. And the twelfth is amethyst. And I think that's purple. Fantastic. What will it look like? Well, the way to find out is to get there. The 12 gates, like 12 pearls, real pearls? No, I don't think so. If it is, spare a thought for the oyster. <laughs> the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the streets of the city, again, Pure gold. Imagine looking at that. Pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. No temple. The temple always personified, really did personify Jesus, isn't it? It was the connection to God. God would dwell in the temple and we would dwell around it. But now we're dwelling with God, there's no need of a temple. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city, because that's what it pointed to. The city had no need of the sun. No sun. It's light all the time. Don't need the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminates it. The light is perpetual. Permanent in the holy city. The Lamb is its light, that's Jesus. And the nations of those who are saved, they shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth, that's us, the redeemed, bring their glory and honor into it. Beautiful expression. So we will, we will ultimately, we will have a city apartment place of residence permanently in the new Jerusalem. Incredible. But we will also, we will also do activities on the face of this planet. Remember, this whole planet has been reshaped, reformed, as it was in the beginning. If you want to know what the, uh, yeah, what, what the earth will look like, study Genesis 1 and 2. There's a lot of information. When God said it was good, and in fact, it was very good. Its gates shall be shut, not shut at all by night. You can go in and out. There's no need for protection. And there shall be no night there that is inside the city, because it's permanently light. God is its light. But because we will come into the city every Sabbath to worship, it's amazing. 
there will be day and night, of course, on the face of this planet, back to the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2, and how God put everything in place, it will be again restored. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations to it, but they shall by no means, and here's a warning, enter it, in it anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie. No fake news, no lies, no make-believes. Only truth shall reign. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The inhabitants of unfallen worlds, and I get this from Desire of Ages, page 25, 26. Notice. The inhabitants of unfallen worlds cannot be closer to God or Christ. That's interesting. You need to take note of this. The inhabitants of unfallen worlds, those who have never sinned, cannot be closer to God and to Christ than the redeemed sinner. True. Now we look at chapter 22. We deal with the river of life. We deal with the tree of life. And we look at the home of the redeemed. I wish there was more detail. But you'll have to get there to learn about this. The river of life, and I'll never find the images that will satisfy me because there's no such thing on the face of this earth. He showed me a pure river. He said, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God. Much of the language here come really from the last chapters of the book of Ezekiel, and also some, of course, of the, the writings here are borrowed from Isaiah to give expression to what John is seeing here. Proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, because they share the throne. Now, the tree of life, notice, in the middle of the street, so you have a massive street. In the middle of the street, you have a river. And then on each side of the river, you have the tree of life. What will that look like? Many trees of life, perhaps as far as you can look. The tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, 12 fruits, and each tree yielding its fruit every month. The supply is permanent because your life will be perpetuated, eternal. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Very hard to try to interpret this. I'll tell you what I think, and I'm only thinking this. You know, a man by the name of Flavius Josephus uh, records that Adam and Eve were about twice the height of us. You may be six feet tall. Imagine, 12 feet tall. I do believe that early man, as it came, as they came from the hand of God, twice the size. Can you imagine being twice the size? In the resurrection, you come up to the height that you have. But then there will be a growing to the full height. I could perhaps defend that from scripture. It's something very interesting to contemplate. Um, 
Does that have anything to do with the healing of the nations using the, the leaves? I don't know. And sometimes it's best not to speculate. But it is interesting. Whichever way it is, life is eternal. And that is fantastic. The home of the redeemed, the home of the redeemed, there shall be no more curse. All finished, all finished. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, living with God. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. I think that's the biggest attraction of eternal life, to see God face to face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. There is a complete harmony. Remember the seal of God on the foreheads? There shall be no night there, that's the city. They need no lamp, nor light, or the sun, because light is there all the time, perpetually. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What a promise. What a future. Then he said to me, then this angel, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place, which is exactly the language in the fairly opening of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written in a short time. And uh, here is that language. Behold, and this of course is God speaking, is Christ speaking. I come quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now there was a blessing pronounced on those who would study the book of Revelation in the beginning. Now I hope that that is true for you as you have studied the book of Revelation because it's repeated here again. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. John is so overwhelmed, he does what he's done before. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, he says, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And here's what the angel said, which happened before. Then he said to me, the angel, see that you do not do that, you see, for I am your fellow servant. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets. He is a fellow servant also to the prophets and of those who keeps the word of this book. He said, I am a servant, angel service. Worship God. Only God should be worshipped. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book. Now that's interesting. People sometimes say it's very hard to understand the book of Revelation. Well, yes, but you need to use the biblical references to the keys that open the symbolism of this book. But there's a blessing pronounced and there's a statement. Don't seal it. It is meant to be understood. You can understand it. And it is a blessing. And as it comes to you, the word from the book of Revelation, and you integrate it in your mind, your thinking, your, your living, you have, you're guaranteed of the blessing. 
And that is the truth. For the time is at hand, and uh, it certainly is true today. He who is unjust, that's an interesting little statement. Let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And then he who is holy, let him be holy still. There is a time when you cannot change anymore. You can't. You are what you are and you stay what you are either way. Very sobering statement. And behold, I come quickly, he says, and my reward is with me, be it for good or be it for evil. My reward is with me. I give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And this is Christ speaking, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do the commandments. You remember that the remnant church, they keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, any of those 12 gates. But outside, and there's a warning, are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. The message is for us, his church. I am the root and the offspring of David. That is who he is. The bright and morning star, beautiful, um, beautiful allegories, the bright and morning star, I like that. The first star that lights up. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. The warnings again. Book of Revelation has its warnings. For I testify that anyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, this is a serious warning. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, do you recall the seven last plagues? It will be added to. But if anyone takes away from the words of this book, if you, if you reduce it and leave things out on purpose, God shall take away his part from the book of life, which means you are missing out on eternal life. From the, uh, missing out from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies these things, he says, says, surely I come quickly, even so, come Lord Jesus, now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's the end of the presentations of the book of Revelation. My hope, my prayer is that it has helped you and will continue to help you. Go over it again so you 
grasp it and see more and more as you study it and that you may integrate it into your life. The blessing that is promised at the beginning, the blessing that is given at the end of this book will become a reality in your life. Accept the book of Revelation as the word of God and truly, truly, you will be blessed. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we had the opportunity again to study your word and Lord, as we have done so, I pray that this may prove to be the blessing that everyone is seeking. A permanent relationship with you from now into eternity. Lord, bless the people, each and every one that has studied and heard this word. Make them strong, keep them near to your heart. Keep them well, keep them safe. And we pray for all of these blessings in Jesus' precious name. Amen. been listening to Revelation Ancient Prophecy with Pastor Baron Neustraten, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio. For more information on this series, visit waitarachurch.org.au. Fixed my mind on another time, on another time, and here I mean to stand until God gives me more light, and that today, 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 until He comes. I have fixed my mind on another time, on another I have set my course on the narrow way, on the narrow way. For I know the time is close at hand, for which I watch and pray. And my course on the narrow way on the narrow way even so
shall the Son of Man appear, the Son of Man appear, even so. From 3ABN's album, Pillars of Our Faith, Volume 1, that was I Have Fixed My Mind. Up next from the same album, this is The Language of Canaan. Oh, that I could talk in the language of Canaan. I could tell a little of the glory better word Oh that I could talk in the language of Canaan I could tell a little of the glory of a better word And the land is the light Where no teardrops fall Oh heaven, it's not like here at all No, 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 no Oh that I could talk In the language of care The wonderful things the Lord showed me of heaven I cannot describe. I saw there tables of stone 
in which the names of the multitude of the redeemed were engraved in letters of gold. After we beheld the glory of the temple, we went out, and Jesus left us and went into the city. Soon we heard his lovely voice again saying, Come, my people, you have come out of great tribulation and done my will, suffered for me. Come in to supper, for I myself will serve you. We shouted, Alleluia, glory, and entered into the city. And I saw a table of pure silver. It was many miles in length, yet our eyes could extend over it. I saw the fruit of the tree of life, the manna, almonds, figs, pomegranates, grapes, and many other kinds of fruit. Then Jesus said, You must go back to earth again and relate to others what I have revealed to you. Then an angel bore me gently down to this dark world. Sometimes I think I can stay here no longer. All things of earth look so dreary. I feel very lonely here, for I have seen a better land. Oh, four wings like a dove, so that I could fly away. I'd sail across the river Jordan to a better place. sweet repose and the living water flows and I'll thirst no more oh heaven I long to reach your shore oh that I in the language of Canaan I could tell a little of the glory Of a better world I could tell a little of the glory Of a better world our series, You're Not Alone, in which Alan Sonter, for many years a missionary educator in the islands of the South Pacific, tells stories that help us to know that God is always watching over us, wherever we are. This episode is entitled, When God Changed the Captain's Orders. The captain was sympathetic. 
I'd like to help you, he said, but my orders are to sail to Nukualofa via Tofua. I stood at the end of the old wooden jetty at Pangai, main town on the island of Lifuka in the kingdom of Tonga. Already the sun was high in the sky and the waters of the lagoon sparkled as a light breeze wafted in from the sea. Somehow, the beauty of the white sands, waving palms and blue sea passed unnoticed as I pondered my problem. I was visiting the main islands of Tonga, administering an entrance examination to children wishing to enter Beulah College, the main Seventh-day Adventist secondary school in the kingdom. Most of the candidates were students completing their final grade in government primary schools, and the trip had been, so far, very successful. In company with Stephen, a Tongan lad who assisted with the examination supervision, I had travelled north to Vava'o and now to Pangai, about 100 miles from home, on the return journey. We had two more islands still to visit, the only means of transport being the Fangelifuka, a small government-owned vessel now lying at the jetty. I wandered over to the jetty where the captain of the Fangelifuka was supervising the loading of supplies. We exchanged greetings and then I asked the captain where he was scheduled to go that day. My orders are to sail to Tofua and from there to Nukualofa, was his matter-of-fact reply. The islands we were to visit lay roughly on the direct route from Pangai to Nukualofa, while Tofua lay way to the west. The ship would be going nowhere near the islands we wished to visit. Wouldn't it be possible just to call in for a little while at Hafeva? I asked, naming the closer of the two islands I needed to visit. I'm afraid not, was the reply. You see, it would take us a long way off our course and we should be at Tofua by tomorrow morning. The little ship moved gently and the wavelets lapped around the barnacle-encrusted posts of the jetty. Well... I suppose there's nothing for us to do but to return to Nukalofa with you, I said, as there's no other ship likely to be around for several days. The kindly captain nodded. You know, he commented, I was a student of Beulah College years ago. I'll do anything I can to help you, but I have to follow the orders that come from the government office. I turned and sat down on my suitcase. The old jetty creaked as the lines from the ship tugged at the posts. The captain went aboard his ship and busied himself with preparations for sailing. I bowed my head and prayed, Lord, this is your work. If you want us to conduct the examination at Parfeva and Namuka, please open the way. With this prayer still in my heart, I stood up and walked slowly along the jetty, not really knowing what to do. Just then, a messenger from the government office came hurrying toward the ship. Picking his way quickly over the gaps left by the missing planks on the jetty, he was soon talking to the captain. Several other passengers and sailors soon gathered around and it looked as though something was afoot. So I made my way back to the ship. After the messenger had left, I went up to the captain. What's the news? I asked. Excitedly, he answered. 
A message has just been received that a whirlwind has struck the island of Mango. It's destroyed most of the village, including the school buildings and some of the village gardens. A couple of people have been injured. I have orders to sail to Mango with an agriculture officer, an education officer and a health officer to assess the damage. We are then to sail to Namuka to drop the three officers so they can find passage back here, while we continue on to Nukualofa. You're very lucky, because now you will be able to go to Namuka. You see, I can stay long enough at Namuka for you to conduct the exam. It's certainly too bad about the whirlwind, I replied, but I appreciate your willingness to make it possible for us to conduct the exam at Namuka. Another thought crossed my mind. Say, I continued, you couldn't just drop in at Hafefa on the way to Mango, could you? It's almost on the direct route. The captain rubbed his chin and thought for a moment, while I thanked the Lord for beginning to answer my prayer. It all depends, he said, on what time we get away from here. He glanced at his watch. It's now almost 12 o'clock. We're about ready to leave. There's just a drum of fuel to be run into the tanks, and we'll be on our way. I'm afraid we won't be able to stop at half ever, because if we did, we wouldn't be able to reach Mango before dark. As we can't get in through the reef at Mango after dark, we can't afford to stop on the way. Noting my disappointment, he added, If we should happen to be delayed here until after two o'clock, we won't be able to get into Mango tonight, so we would perhaps go to Hafeva, spend the night there, and leave about three in the morning to reach Mango at first light. But there's no reason for a delay, so I'm afraid you'll just have to miss Hafeva. Again I turned away, and this time asked the Lord that if it was his will, we would be able to conduct the exam at Hafeva. Within a few minutes, two sailors appeared rolling a 44-gallon drum along the jetty. They reached a section where only two planks lay across the several-foot-wide space in the wooden decking of the old structure. So I went over to help them manoeuvre the drum across this difficult spot. We soon had the drum safely beside the ship. The plug was removed, and the contents of the drum began to pour into the ship's fuel tanks. The sailors and I were standing by watching, when the man closest to the drum exclaimed, Hey, there's something funny about this fuel. He leaned over and sniffed the opening of the drum. It smells more like kerosene than diesel to me. Quickly, all eyes turned to the drum, where plainly lettered across the top were the words, Mobile Laurel Lighting Kerosene. Immediately the siphon tube was removed from the drum, but 30 gallons or more of kerosene were already mixed with the diesel in the tanks, and if the engine were run on that mixture, the ship wouldn't go very far. The captain was soon on the spot and ordered the tanks to be emptied. It was a long and laborious task, since all the pumping had to be done by hand. By the time the tanks had been emptied and refilled with clean fuel, it was half past two in the afternoon. Everyone else was nonplussed by how the kerosene could have been delivered from the depot and filled into the tanks without anyone noticing the words so clearly lettered on the drum. But I was sure that the Lord had had a hand in the matter. The captain came over to me. You're lucky again, he said. 
Now we will have to spend the night at Halfever. A few minutes later, as the little ship pulled away from the jetty, I thanked the Lord again and marveled at the means he had used to change the captain's sailing orders. He was there to help when I needed him. Perhaps you might be saying to yourself, those happenings, the whirlwind and the mistake about the fuel were simply a coincidence. I've seen things work out in answer to prayer too often to accept that those things were just a coincidence. God was there, and although I don't believe that the whirlwind was his doing, he used it as a means of solving my problem. And friend, whoever you might be, God loves you as much as he loves me. You're not alone any more than I was away out there in that small island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You've been listening to our series, You're Not Alone. Stories told by Alan Sonter that help us to know that God is always watching over us, wherever we are. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abinaustralia.org.au or give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456. May God bless you and remember, you are not alone. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.